Hi, and welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just doing our darndest, our, our dangdest, our damnedest to make the world 10% nicer. And we are super glad that you are here to help us get there by every means necessary. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and today, today I'm joined by super nice, super talented, super smart, super cool, Tegan Quinn of the Grammy-nominated band Tegan and Sarah. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tegan and Sarah, this is a huge day for you because you are getting introduced to your new favorite band. You are welcome. Okay, so let's see. They're, um, they're identical twins. I mean, they're physically identical. They're from Alberta. That's in Canada, folks. And they tell really great, super nice stories with their music, with their words, and with their lives. Uh, that's some nice work. It really is. Their new book, High School, it, it, it's just a straight-up wonderful read. It took me back to a time and to scenes that I, I just knew so well, and it really reconnected me in unexpected ways with a culture and a mindset and, and, and to challenges that so many of us face as teenagers. Reading that book, reading high school, really revived and restored me in surprising ways. And, and that's why we are offering a money-back guarantee to you on high school, so listen for it in this episode. Uh, Tegan, Tegan talks about their new record, the book, uh, the TV show. They have so many projects. Uh, we get all activisty and stuff. We've got our eyes on you, IMDB. And it's just, it's just a great listen, so listen up. Sometimes, sometimes you just feel a great connection with a guest. And I have to say, I just really enjoyed talking with Tegan. I hope that comes across. Pretty sure that it will. Pretty sure that you're going to love her. Couple of quick things before we get to the good stuff. First, don't forget to nab your Super Nice Club gear at superniceclub.com. <laughs> We're selling out of everything, like all of it, prior to relaunching in a few months with a new focus, a new look, a totally fresh collection. So the Generation 1 stuff, the, the OG SNC gear, uh, it's all limited and it's almost gone. So get it now if you want it. If you don't want it, then don't get it now because that's, that's not what you want to do, right? Yeah, okay. This is the 63rd episode. Wow, 63rd episode of Nice Work. So here are some fun facts about the number 63. Uh, maybe they're not fun per se, or even interesting, but let's just skip ahead, you're gonna suffer through them. Okay, there are 63 groats in a guinea in British pre-decimal currency. Isn't that cool, right? Yeah, now you know. There's a card game popular in Carleton County, New Brunswick, called 63. No idea how to play, never heard of it before. This one's good. If a donkey and a horse make out, have sex, and have a baby, yeah, there will be 63 chromosomes chromosomes in that love child. There are 63 salakapurusas, great beings, in Jain cosmology. The Jains are super nice. And the Jains, they wouldn't hurt a fly. Check out the Jains. There you go, 63, what a number. All right, let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Tegan Quinn. So 
Tegan, Tegan Quinn, thanks for being on Nice Work Podcast. Really, really great to have you on. Oh my God, it's my pleasure. I uh, I love to talk. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you? Are you in Vancouver? Where are you at? I am off the coast of Vancouver. Um, there's a cluster of islands there called the sort of Southern Gulf Islands, I think is what they refer to them as. And I'm on one of those islands right now. I have a cabin over there. So that's you have a cabin on an island. That's a great place yeah. to yeah, to ride out COVID for sure. I'm not complaining, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just jump into it. So ah, the last 18 months, it just seems like you've just so much going on. You dropped a new album. Hey, I'm just mm -hmm. like you. Uh, remix mm -hmm. EP with a bunch of people. Uh, mm -hmm. Hey, we're just like you. An insanely awesome. Here it is. Everybody, you can't see this, but you can hear it. You hear this pages? Autobiography called High School. <laughs> uh, and you've landed a show based on your high school experience on IMDb TV. Um, you have a couple graphic novels in the pipeline. Is that right? That's true. Did I hear that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's a, just a lot going on. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we wrote, um, we started writing our memoir in 2018 and, and it came out and we had an, a, a sort of companion record that came out with it. Hey, I'm just mm -hmm. like you. And then, yeah, then the pandemic hit. So we got to do, you know, maybe three months of promo and a bit of touring and then the pandemic hit. And I have to be honest that that was, I wasn't, sad, I mean, I'm sad about the pandemic, but I wasn't sad to be done promoting those two projects. It was really fun to do what we did. It felt really meaningful. And I'm so glad those, those things are out in the world. And, but the truth was, is that when we were writing our memoir, we'd done a deal to do two graphic novels. And I didn't know this when we agreed to do the deal, but when you write a graphic novel, when you're the writer side of it, you write it in script form and we'd never written scripts before. And so when COVID hit, technically in, in 2020, we owed two scripts for these graphic novels by the end of the year. And we were supposed to be touring the entire year. And so I have no idea how we would have gotten the scripts done. So it's almost as if we're the ones that started COVID because it ended up working. <laughs> it was like to our advantage that, that the whole world shut down because we were able to sit down for you know six months straight and figure out how to write a script. And, and so we delivered those. And so those will be graphic novels. They're aimed at, um, they're fictionalized stories about Sarah and I being mm -hmm. um, 13 and 14 years old. And it's about us starting a band and, you know, questioning our identity and sexuality and making friends and that whole thing. And that those will come out in 2022 and 2023. And we have this awesome artist illustrator, uh, Tilly Walden, who's um, drawing them and she's, she's incredible. So anyway, yeah, so we worked on that all of last year. And, um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned our memoir, we'll see. I mean, we're, we, it hasn't been picked up yet, but Amazon and IMDb, um, have us, you know, with our co-collaborator, our co-creator, Clea Duvall, writing scripts. And so that's in the pipeline. We'll see what happens. You know, TV's tough. You never know. Yeah. But um, we're kind of at that age. I don't know. How old are you? Uh, are you I'm old. I'm 49. Okay. Well, so we're... I'm not that I just, old, but yeah. No, that's not old at all. But I just turned 40. And I feel like I'm really interested in exploring absolutely everything and anything that I possibly can. And it's not, I'm not abandoning music. Sarah and I are still, we're writing a new record right now, but yeah. I feel like free to just try a bunch of things. I don't have any, like any hope that all of those things will work out. Like, I don't know, like maybe the TV show will get made, maybe it won't, maybe the graphic novels will be a disaster. Who knows? But I just feel like why not try absolutely everything right now? Because why not? You know? I agree a hundred percent. And and it's always fun to tell stories no matter what. It's cathartic, yeah. it's great, and, and you're learning 
probably either fade in or final draft, right? For your script writing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I am now, but when we first started, I did not work in any program. I was like, yes. I just followed the, I just made the template myself. And then someone's like, you know, there's a program. Space, 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 yeah. space. <laughs> yeah. Tabbing over a lot. Yeah. Tab, 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 tab. Yeah. yeah. But you know, yeah. I mean, look, I don't know. I've been playing music since I was 15 years old. I'm just turned 40. So um, that's a lot of years. And I don't know how to tell what key a song is in. Um, I don't, I don't think Sarah and I have ever adhered or worked within the confines of the structure that other people set out. I think we've always sort of been outside the lines. We've always sort of said that our moments of popularity are just us veering across the line accidentally and, and, and something will happen. And so I think when it comes to making things, we always just make them the way we think that you should make things. And, and my best experiences with producers, for example, in the studio are those producers that kind of look inside a session of mine and go, this is weird, but let's leave it. Let's not fix it. Let's not change it. Like this is what you guys are. And so as we sort of, I don't know, veer into writing in the traditional sense, like writing memoirs, we just sold another memoir we're writing right now about being twins I don't think I'm following any of the rules. I'm sure great memoirists would maybe be horrified by how we do it, but some might also say, yeah, that's, it's just kind of, you just write your story. It's supposed to be in your voice. It's a memoir, you know? So um, I don't know. We're just kind of doing it, but I have a lot of friends that are writers and I think they're probably like all the time at us, you know, which that, sorry for people listening. That was a cringe face. I'm sure people are like, (laughs) God, what are they doing? But I don't know. Like, we just have a story to tell and we're just trying to tell it. We're just using different formats to do it. So, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it is instructive and important for, you know, different careers. This is the nice work podcast. So, we talk to people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Yeah. That it, it can be for some people, it's obviously how you're wired, but it can be a hang up for some folks to get overly concerned with the a specific process. Or learning oh God, how totally. to how to implement a certain tool in a certain way, a hang up, or it could be an excuse to just, well, I really can't do this because I don't have all the right, like photography, right? When I do, I used to do photography for years, you know, as my kind of my main thing. And some shooters would have all kinds of gear, like lots of gear, and they really knew how to use it. And I never, still to this day, and I've done, yeah. you know, <laughs> gallery shows, I've had stuff featured all over the place. I, I still don't really know the technical aspect. I can't. I feel like. Uh, I feel like I'm faking it when I talk to other, like, quote unquote, real photographers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yet. Some artists use that as an excuse. Like, you, like I think you were starting to get to that. But, like, writers, photographers, musicians, it's like an excuse. Like, you say to yourself, well, I don't know the rules. I don't have the gear. I never went to school for writing. So, I guess I can't do it. And it's like, mm-hmm. fuck that. Yeah, I do think it's an excuse. I also think that sometimes it does help to learn for some folks, some of the rules, yeah, just, <laughs> totally. just, to di- just dive into it. If you dive into it with enough passion, you'll figure out your own rules. It'll be one of two things. You'll either figure out your own rules or you'll figure out other people's rules and then you'll throw those away anyway, once you've yeah. figured them out. So, you know, way to go. Way to just get it done, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I, but I agree. I, I, I want to just acknowledge, like, I agree with you. I think for some people, they need to go to Berkeley School of Music to become a world-class musician and, and, and then others just write a song on SoundCloud and then they get signed yesterday and then they're famous tomorrow and they just write one hit after another. I mean, like we're all on a different path. I think the worst part of the time we're living in, because there are lots of good things about it, but the worst part of it is, is that there's so much visibility around how art is made 
And I think that's it's doing one of two things. It's either making it feel like it's so easy <laughs> to make something and become famous, or it's the opposite. It's like, oh no, that's how you do it. Well, I don't know how to do it like that. So I guess I'm no good and I'll never be able to succeed. And I think you know, a lot of obviously women and other left of sort of center personalities, like, or, or types of people like LGBTQ people, for example, constantly say, oh, well, I don't know how to do this. I'm not represented. No one's going to listen to me or support me. And, you know, and the, the byproduct of that is, is that sometimes we do continue to make art anyway, but we do it in a really weird way, or we do it in the underground. And so it's not all bad. Like I do think mm -hmm. for me, a big part of our musical career has been like, well, nobody's going to buy music from left of center queer women. So why am I worried about appealing to the mainstream? And then <laughs> accidentally, we just all of a sudden appeal to the mainstream. And I was like, oh, cool. And then you fall out of fashion a bit and you're like, oh, well, I'll just continue making weird crap over here and like keep me posted if any of it becomes relevant. And I think, you know, that's not going to be everyone's story. I'm certainly not trying to say that everybody can do that but i think you're right like some people are going to learn what aperture is and and other people are going to be like what's aperture i actually dated a photographer for five years and i that's how i used to get her to get me to fall asleep as i would be like explain aperture to me one more time and she would start to talk and i'd be like give <laughs> <laughs> me out <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> something that i really loved going through and i just recently i just recently read the book so it's fresh on my mind um awesome. about, but about going back to your old material with, with the album mm -hmm. uh, is it just seems to really honor the reality of these emotions and the wisdom of the observations of teenagers. You know, yeah. one of my very favorite bands, I, I don't expect to know them or anybody listening to this to know them, but one of my very favorite bands, a band out of Chicago called Cap and Jazz. Okay. And they wrote their <laughs> songs and their lyrics when they were 15 years old. Actually, I think one of the brothers, Mike Kinsella was 12. Uh, wow. But the raw emotion, the raw emotion of it is to me anyway, as powerful and as evocative as any art made. But but so many adults lose the thread. You know, they lose the touch. They look back on teen feelings as somehow like less real. And, and that's, just, that's just so dismissive to me of what an important part of, of who we are and what we are, you know? I mean, I get, I get that it's probably reflexively protective in some way, but just to deny the power of youth. And then I read this book and I listened to your music. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> no, they're not well, only, I think, you know, you're honoring it so well. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I think I like that you're using the word honoring it or, or, or honor, because I think you're right. I think we, um, well, I think what happens, this has been my journey in the last three years since, you know, writing the book or getting into writing the book and then writing it and then subsequently releasing it and then talking about it a lot is that, um, we, are un, we're less inhibited as young people, which is weird to say, because I think actually teenagers are quite inhibited in, in a lot of ways and insecure and uncomfortable, but, but in a way that they, they haven't experienced all the things that you experience as an adult. And so when they do find a medium to share their feelings or their emotions or their experiences, it can be really unique and exciting to see how they choose to voice themselves. They don't have any of the rules yet. They don't have any of the structure. And so, um, and that doesn't make everything that a young person makes great. I mean, we all know there's lots of crap that young people make. I'm like, all my friends with kids are like, oh, God, do I have to keep all these things my kid's drawing? I mean, they're not great. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. But I don't think everything we drew or made or wrote when we were young was great. But I think that it was undeniable that we had a knack for melody. And we understood without any training, without any instruction, how to construct a song. 
that was clear. Was the recording of the songs very good? No. Were some of the lyrics absolute trash and nonsense? Yes, we were taking a lot of acid in the 90s. But but that what was absolutely undeniable was that there was an inherent and emphatic understanding for melody and for structure. Mm-hmm. And when we were writing the book and I listened back to all those demos from over 20 years ago, that is what I was struck by. I was like, okay, yeah, like we can't just put this out. And if we're going to go in the studio and re-record these songs and let's tweak the lyrics a bit, let's definitely Frankenstein together a few better parts of different songs. Like let's make a great world-class, you know, recording. And, you know, but it felt like we needed to honor young Tegan and Sarah and give them an opportunity to like put those songs out into the world. Because I, I also think what happens when you're young is, is that you are, you're creating really quickly and you're, you have a lot to say. And so you move on really quickly too. And I think we moved on from that early music before we'd actually worked on it. And so it felt like an exciting thing to revisit. And that's been my biggest message to people as we've been out promoting the book and the record is that I get it your first creations probably are crap, but like it's worth revisiting because you probably never actually spent the time and effort and energy you would now crafting something then, you know, you moved on really quickly. So I think it was a worthwhile journey. And I do really think that young people are smarter and more connected and in touch than, than adults give them credit for, which is weird since we were all young people at one time. So why do we lose that? that Weird. That's that's great. I don't know when you lose that thread. I, I've always (laughs) called it, even since in high school, I've called it, um, going gray. And I noticed Mm -hmm. like people as early as 1920 to me, they went gray, which just meant they lost that thread. They got concerned with other things. And, you know, when you don't, uh, to me, when you, when you keep it, that's the fountain of youth right there. That's the fountain of youth. And and teenagers can see it. Like, you remember when you were a teenager and there were some adults, it didn't matter if they were 25, which seemed so old, or 75, you could still see that they saw you. Yeah. Right? That rare adult that was like, oh, they're still, they still got it. You know? Yeah. Well, um, I think that they're, like, it's funny. Like, I was really obsessed with older people as a young person. I always thought like, you know, and I mean like older people, like my grandparents. I thought my grandparents were so cool. I loved hanging out with them when I was a teenager. And I thought some of my cousins who were in their early 20s, they seemed like unbelievably cool because I'd always wanted an older sibling. So, you know, like, I think I projected a lot of coolness onto older people. But I also think like, I could tell when someone was really asking me questions and really cared and was really listening to me. Like my parents treated me like I was interesting, you know, like when I was hysterically crying because my you know, parents didn't want me to play Nirvana, you know, in my bedroom, I wanted them to listen to me. I wanted them to understand why I like Nirvana, why certain songs that they found offensive weren't offensive, what the meaning behind the songs were. And they listened to me. And because they listened to me, they ended up liking the music, but they also liked me more. Like that was clear. Like the more my parents started to understand us as we develop our own personalities and identity and likes and dislikes, the more they seem to enjoy us. And I, you know, feel really grateful for that. Also very funny because I I only am doing one other interview this week. I did it yesterday and it was with a 16 year old and she is a writer and she wrote our publicist just off our website. So I'm 16. I'm also a twin. And I read Tegan and Sarah's memoir and I want to do an interview with them for my school paper. And my publicist was like, we can just send a note back saying you're too busy. And I was like, hell no, that is exactly the type of interview that I'm interested in doing. And (laughs) and she was great. Like, she was awesome. She was so articulate. She was really, I mean, she was amazing. She was like, you know, my instinct is to say she wasn't a typical 16 year old, but then I like, I know better because I just watched, you know, 
hundreds of hours and read notes and photos and like just so much content of us as young people. And I'm like, no, we were cool. We were interesting. We had ideas. We had thoughts. We were learning to articulate ourselves in a way that was fresh and exciting. And yeah, I think you don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that connection. I think you put it perfectly. Like, you know, you don't want to lose the thread. You don't want to go gray. You don't want to like forget that young people were you at one point. (laughs) Oh no. And it takes work to not forget. And it was reading this book. Um, just really, I've, I've been surrounded by all this high school stuff lately. What is it? It's like your book, your album, um, a graphic novel that I read called Deadly Class, which is this kind of you know sci-fi reframe of this guy's growing high school experience in the uh, late '80s East Bay, California. Which that sounds so cool. Totally, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, what else? Oh, the TV show uh, Pen Fifteen, yeah, the Lonely okay. Island thing, right? And there's another one too. I'm like, all oh, this high school stuff. It's it's. Uh, it took me back, reconnected me a lot, you know. So folks listening, this is a great book, all right? Uh, High School is a great book. In fact, uh, we're going to do a super nice club guarantee. If you buy it and you don't like it, you're like, this sucks. Uh, we'll buy it from you, full price. And then we'll gift it to a member <laughs> of the super nice club, all right? So we're going to do a super nice club money back guarantee on Tegan and Sarah's high school. <laughs> this is an honor system, okay? Because you're super nice. So don't abuse this. I like this. I don't know. I mean, it's like Super Nice Club isn't wealthy. So maybe like we're good for 20 copies. All right. If you're the 21st <laughs> person who hates it, you know, you're out of luck. Um, money back guarantee on Tegan and Sarah's high school. All right, folks. Got it. Great. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, what else I was thinking about when I was reading this is just that I don't know if really there's a like a real world litmus test for, for mm. social progress. Mm that's better than the lives of teenagers, you know, cause they're the next generation on the front lines. They're the ones who are experiencing the things that, that we are working on improving. And when you forget what it's to feel like when you, to, to, to be a teenager, to feel so fiercely and just how, how painfully dominant and wrongheaded social mores can sear and burn mm-hmm. into you when you're a teenager, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been tw- what, 20 years since you graduated from, um, Crescent Heights from Crescent Heights, right? Yeah. Yeah. Crescent Heights. Yep. So do you think that, that the, that the queer teens who are there now have it easier? Do you think they feel more accepted than you did? Do you have any, do you have any feel for that? I do actually. It's a great question because one of my best friends from, and who we write about in our memoir high school, she is a teacher at Crescent Heights now. Really? Who? Which one? Uh, in the book, she is. Well, maybe I shouldn't say because I, okay, it's okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, she's one of the girls in the book. One but of, okay. um, it's actually really funny because when we when we were doing promo for the book, we she got gained us she got us access to the school. We shot a whole we sh- shot two days of footage in the school. We brought in all our old friends and interviewed them and um and met a bunch of her students. And um, it's it's really interesting. Another friend from the book, the guy who plays my boyfriend, his or not plays my boyfriend, was my boyfriend, <laughs> although he is gay. So we kind of were playing each other's boyfriend and girlfriend, but um, he's still one of my best friends to this day. He's worked for us for 12 years. Um, and his niece uh, goes to Crescent Heights. And so I do have two, I have a youthful impression of what it's like to go to Crescent Heights and what the culture is like there. And then of course, an adult who went there and uh, you know, there's a GSA. So a gay straight Alliance, there's definitely openly queer and trans kids that go to that school. There is, you know, 
you know, support and visibility around, you know, trans kids and, and anti-bullying. And, you know, there are all those sort of like modern day additions to the youth mm-hmm. experience at school. Um, but there's tons of kids that are still closeted that are uncomfortable. You know, I think, you know, it's undeniable that there's an enormous amount of change that's happened socially and, and on a legislative level since I graduated high school, for sure. And I think that there are so there is just so much representation in the media and um, in in the different entertainment worlds, and um, I I imagine on that generally speaking, it probably has gotten a lot easier. But I think that at the same time, it's really hard to be a teenager. Period. And you know, there's just an enormous amount of growth and emotional turmoil and psychological exhaustion and psychic weight about what your future is going to be and your body and love and gender and sex and all these things, uh, acne, you know, like just growing that, you know, and so like add it's at being queer or being trans, you just add that on top of that. It doesn't matter if you can get married now. Or, you know, if, yeah. if Euphoria is like an awesome show on HBO, like it doesn't change the fact that you're a teenager. So I think it's still really hard. And I think that there's still a lot of challenges, but I think that there's just more representation and that in just in terms of research and numbers lowers the rates of, you know, suicidal tendencies, lowers the rate of depression and anxiety to know that you can be something and you can see yourself in these adult forms or these other worlds like that is that is you know undeniably i think improving the lives of lgbtq youth but it's still hard to be a teenager so and the the tv shows the tv heroes the people that that they can aspire to that's something pretty cool because you know it's not a done deal yet but your tv show right mm-hmm. uh if 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 and when that gets to air, that's significant. That's going to have a significant impact as well. That's got to feel great. Yeah. Oh my God. Of course. I mean, look, that's how we sold our memoir. I mean, I think we would have sold it anyway. We have enough, you know, cultural collateral that if we'd said, we just want to write a book about our experience in the music business, somebody would have published that probably. I think the reason why FSG published it was because it was a unique kind of story, a story that's not often told. You know, I think women in music don't get memoirs nearly as often as men do. And I don't think there's as much exhaustive, like, you know, intensive research and writing done about women in music. We just don't, I I think in some ways it's probably because I don't know that women read, like, I don't know that women need to the breakdown and the analogies and the that men do like men want to like sit and be like, so wow, show me on your guitar, how you did those things. I think I don't know that. I I don't know. I'm not like that. For me, I want to see the behind the scenes. I want to know who you are and what you love and what interests you. Like, I don't know if I necessarily want to see you like twiddle around on your pedals for like 15 minutes. Although I do sometimes watch that stuff. But anyway, I think when we wrote our memoir, what made people really excited about it was that it was a story that doesn't often get told because it was female musicians, but specifically it was young female musicians. Because in addition to the fact that women don't get that deep dive when they're musicians, we also don't care about young women. When we see young women represented, most of the time what we see is very rounded off, you know, like just bubbling over with tropes, you know, like they're giggly, they're writing in diaries, they're boy crazy, they, their rooms look like this. And we aren't that. And I mean, women, we aren't those things. And so we don't see ourselves even as just young women very often, everything is so 
this lane and I was like messy and gross and my room was just like covered in crap and like you know loud music and layered clothing like I mean the closest reference I can find is Billie Eilish if she was like all fucked up you know what I mean like you know because she's still pretty like together and I think our story is upsetting to some people because it's like oh man like this is rough you guys took drugs and you stole and you lied and you beat the shit out of each other and you skipped school and you were complicated and in danger and didn't know who you are and it's like yeah and that's a lot of young people yeah (laughs) and we we just don't see that it is scary it it was scary but I think that was super important. And so when it comes to the TV show, you know, when we went out and met producing partners, Plan B, who we partnered with, which is Brad Pitt's oh, yeah. um, production company, you know, Jeremy Kleiner, who's the co-president over there, he's a big music guy. And he was just like, this story, like, where is that story? Like, wh- I don't think that story is being told. And and Cleo Duval, who's our actor, director, writer friend, who's co-creating the show with us and has written the first couple of scripts. It's like, it's upsetting. <laughs> you know, like the scripts are, you know, I hope it gets made, but it's like, it's hard. It's visceral, you know, um, her idea for how to make this show and how to make it a show that actually feels like it really happened, you know, like it's real. It's, um, it's either going to work or it's not. And, but I'm proud that we're trying, you know, I'm proud that it's, you know, that, that Amazon and IMDb are, are at least thinking, you know, through this process, it's pretty exciting. It's a lot of, it's a lot. <laughs> so real quick on that show. Um, the podcast episode of nice work that released earlier today is with my, my dear friend, uh, Cara Lancaster. Cara is a, uh, trans woman, talented music video director, and she's been kind of fighting IMDB, um, Mm. along with a lot lot of other members of the trans population over the right to have their dead names removed from credits. And IMDB, IMDB won't budge, excepting excepting the awesome Elliot Page. Uh, you know, they cite this need for database accuracy, which to Cara and others sort of effectively dismisses the real heartache over dead names Absolutely. as secondary, as totally secondary to a database that, I mean, honestly, isn't really that important. So I, my question to you wow. is if you think you can lean on your new partners at IMDb on this a little, because it's kind of I don't deal. even just think, I don't yeah. even think, think I can do it. I will absolutely throw my hat into the ring and immediately write an email and ask that question. I, I find it deeply fascinating just even knowing the small bit you just told me. And also it's just, it shines a light yet again on, we think to ourselves, oh, gay marriage and everything <laughs> was done. And it's just like, when you are, when you fall under that umbrella of LGBTQ plus, it's, there are so many other small and huge items that still need to be figured out. And um, I, you know, Sarah and I launched the Tegan and Sarah Foundation almost five years ago. And mm-hmm. one of the things we're so proud about is that our mission is pretty broad. You know, it's just improving the lives of self-identified women and girls in the LGBTQ plus community. And every, we have a board meeting every quarter and every board meeting, we bring new items to the, to the table where we're like, here's another, like, issue that we haven't thought of. Here's another issue not being addressed by any, any of the major LGBTQ organizations out there. So this this is like, in addition to just being a personal thing that I'm interested in and that I right. think could be really cool, I'm like immediately going to also send this to the Tegan and Sarah Foundation because this feels like something we should be talking about with our GLAAD partners. And Awesome. Yeah. Yes. I love that you told me All about right. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what they will tell you, and folks, IMDB is the... Uh, anyway, it's if you're in production... 
um, it's the, the where everybody gets credited. You know, you want to see who who your actors, who your producers are, who your key grips are, everything. It's kind of a big deal for your career if you're in film and television, mostly. Fair enough. Um, they will tell you that they have, they will change, remove the dead name, update the name on the the slug. But when you then dive down into the specific credits, no, it, that's you know the dead name. So so instead of just having one dead name, now they make like. 20 or 50 or 100. That's wild to me. It can be changed. Um, It should be changed. And great. Cara, if you're listening to this, I hope I didn't embarrass you. I didn't mean to call you out like that, but you're so passionate about this topic. We've talked about it so many times. We talked about it on the podcast. So I figured, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. I love it. Thank you for, thank you for making me aware. I love it. I mean, and I also, you know, Sarah and I always say that we want to be, you know, this is applicable to what I was saying earlier, but like, we kind of just like sometimes mangle things. We kind of just like go through life being like, ah, we're just like learning how to do things. And one of the things I love most is just being a disruptor. And I don't know, like, I love that. I'm not even technically really in film and TV, but I can't wait to write an email to all the people that we're talking to and be like, hi, I have a thought. <laughs> no, but wait I love till, this. Like, wait till after you sign, after you, after you sign the deal, because then you'll have clout, right? <laughs> They're like, well, right. maybe we don't want to do this. They're troublemaking. Right. Maybe we should wait yeah. a week. Like we're supposed just to find wait. out in the next yeah. week or two if they're going to they're green lighting it so maybe i'll wait and then and then i'll have more power you're right you're then right you have the hammer. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you said something and i think this is my only explicitly twin question um but you said something i saw pretty powerful in an interview with the times recently you said it's very complicated to want to sever and tether at the same time this mix of emotions that's feuding inside of you at all times mm-hmm. we desperately want to be a part and be our own people, but I need her, referencing Sarah, your sister, to thrive and survive. Mm-hmm. I, I read that, and I asked myself if I've ever had that relationship with like a family member, you know, a close friend or a loved one. And I mean, maybe yeah, to some degree with a with a lover, but not this feuding inside at all times. Mm-hmm. So, my question on that is: Do you think that non twins can relate to that feeling in any way? It's oh gosh, well. I'll never be a non-twin, so I, I know, have no right? idea. But yeah. I will say, I mean, we are we just sold um, uh, another book, a memoir about being twins, and it's also going to be an audio series, um, like a separate. So they'll kind of be companions to each other, but separate, like the audio series will have much more like research and interviews with twin people and twin experts and that sort of thing. Whereas the memoir will just be solely sort of based on our experience as twins, but I'm about three months into research and writing and working on this. And I will say that more than any other time in my life, I can really maybe put myself out there and say that I do think there's something about being an identical twin that is incredibly unique and difficult for people to understand because it is really just this very specific experience. And when you are not an identical twin, like even other kinds of twins, like fraternal Mm -hmm. twins specifically, but there's like a few other sort of other kinds of twins it's not the same like there is something hard to sort of articulate about being sharing a face and sharing this experience going through absolutely everything together and and sort of being lumped together and and it's just really hard at times you know i i i've struggled in the past i mean i'm going to use hundreds of pages to try to figure out how to articulate this but there is an almost compulsive need to be my own person. And yet 
there's just, I don't want to not be around Sarah and not be creating things with her. And I would, you know, feel incredibly regretful to not be committing this massive piece of my life and all my art to, to the pursuit of collaboration with Sarah. And that's just, it's, it's, it makes us unwell at times, I think, mm-hmm. probably to outsiders because it's just like, why would we continue to do this? But there's just nothing we want to do more. So, um, I think maybe if I had to come up with one comparison, it would probably be, you know, people who have been together for decades, you know, who share children and property or have worked together, you know, like really wrap, like if you can imagine that, I guess maybe that would be the closest because we're 40 years into our relationship as siblings and 22 years into our working relationship. And you know, 25 years into our collaboration, you know, relationship. So it's complicated, man, there's so many layers. And it's like a spider web, you know, everything is sticky. And it's all feels like a trap. And we're trapping other people in it all the time, too. You know, (laughs) super, super fucking dark. (laughs) Uh, Well, you did also say that same article that it's a psychic burden. So I, I can imagine, I can imagine, I don't know if I can understand but definitely imagine it's it's uh it's a pretty well i would fast- say like imagine like our music is our children in mm-hmm. a way right like there's this mm-hmm. this thing that you just love that you make together and you know like my my parents knew each other from high school and they divorced after like when we were five years old and they're still like best friends and you know growing up my mom always said like it doesn't matter what what happened between your dad and i we made you together and we are devoted to the pursuit of raising you. And now in adulthood, she's like continuing to enjoy our creation together. And in a way it's like, no matter how dark or bleak or fucked up things between Sarah and I can sometimes be, we made all this art together. We have like traversed the earth dozens of times together. We are, we are collaborating in our pursuit of joy and all the other stuff, commerce and success and satisfaction and change and social justice together. And we do, we work and strive together in pursuit of that, even when we feel like murdering one another, which is often. (laughs) (laughs) That's clear from the book. (laughs) Yeah. Clear that it used to be, you know, my two sons, Ryerson and Archer, my two young sons were born both on June 26th. Um, Wait, are they twins? No, it's two years apart. I just kind of want to. And they were yeah. born on the same day? Yeah. You know, I thought I'd tease and make you think that I have twins, but I don't. Yeah. That's still amazing. What are the odds? I mean, there are. I think just like when you're having sex once a year, it's odds are pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty totally. good. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, let's talk about, you talked about your foundation earlier. I want to, I want to talk about the foundation and open up some wallets, folks, uh, for the second time. First for the book, now for the foundation. <laughs> uh, it's eponymously called Tegan and Sarah Foundation. Yeah. And the mission is real simple, but real big. What do they type? Yeah. Improving the lives of LGBTQ plus women and girls. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. You have community grants that address certain buckets. What, what, how, what's the best way for people to get involved right now? Well, I'll say this. Starting a foundation is something a lot of people, once they get to our position, do. You know, like not a lot of people. Like, and, and you know, but like it's a thing people do. Madonna has a foundation, you know. 
Uh, Miley Cyrus has a foundation. You know, it's what you do because you get hit up all the time to help raise money. And when you have your name on a foundation or it's something that you're in pursuit of, your audience or the people who love and support your music tend to want to give. And you can open doors and go to throw galas and people you know, millions of dollars and whatever. That is not our foundation because we are <laughs> small. You know, people are definitely not throwing money our way. Um, and also we're, you know, in pursuit of social justice and economic health and representation for LGBTQ women and girls specifically, uh, you know, sections of the, the community and issues that relate to that community that aren't necessarily marriage equality, like big, you know, headline grabbing. So it's been difficult to raise money. Um, I think a lot of people just, I've said it a few times in this interview, like I think a lot of people think, oh, well, gay marriage passed. So the war's over on, on LGBTQ people. And clearly it's not, you know, there are going to be right. hundreds of religious freedom acts that hit, you know, the Senate floor, there are going to consistently be attacks on trans youth and trans people. And, um, you know, there are still states where there are like dozens of states where, um, you know, certain offensive therapies are still instituted to try to get LGBTQ identity people, youth not to be that. And there is just so much inequality and there's still so much hatred and anger and ignorance and misinformation. And we just hope with the Tegan and Sarah Foundation to bring positivity and hope and light and dollars from where they are not to where they should be. Um, the one big thing I will say about Tegan and Sarah Foundation that's really changed is that we realized that there are there are small little pockets and places within the community that aren't being funded and are being given to and, and sort of fly under the radar and we try to find those pockets. We try to find those smaller grassroots community, you know, organizations, sometimes just an individual or a few individuals often volunteer based and try to help them get funding. So some, some of our community grants are just to like help LGBTQ youth get bus passes so they can go into the city. Maybe they live in rural areas to go and check out the LGBT center in, in the bigger city near them. You know, we send LGBTQ youth, uh, to LGBTQ summer camps where, you know, in a week's time, they get to some of them meet their first ever other LGBTQ people. And these camps are volunteers and staff of LGBTQ mentors, artists, creatives. And these summer camp experiences build a lifetime of self-esteem and positivity for these youth to lean on when they're back at home, you know, facing the things that they're going to face. So a lot of our programs and a lot of our grants and funding just goes to like really feel good, but extremely necessary organizations like that. But we have on our website, a list of all the work we've done, all the grants we've given, and then just a huge resource list of other organizations doing great work because a big part of, I think, what we do with Tegan and Sarah Foundation is just say to people, give to us, great. You can trust us because we're going to distribute the money to the community. Or go and look at our resource list, find something that really tugs on your heartstring and give to that organization. But it feels good to give. And it's absolutely incredible. All those organizations, a $5 a month reoccurring payment Yes. helps us build our programs for the whole year. We we just had our board meeting and we we you know allotted okay, 50,000 in summer camp scholarships, 30,000 in community grant scholarships, 20,000 in you know this world and we're able to do that because we know how much money is coming in for the year because of reoccurring payments. So that's my sales pitch on Tegan and Sarah Foundation. No, and, uh, <laughs> great. It's great. Um, and and it, for regular listeners, you've heard me pitch the monthly recurring donations before. Um, I've worked in the nonprofit world, so I can tell you guys, one coffee, one coffee a month. 
Just like that's it. Give it so up. small because uh, these organizations can literally bank on the recurring donations. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to ask you to donate to something the Super Nice Club hasn't. So we have uh, we're, we're recurring donors, small recurring donors to Tegan and Sarah Foundation. So join us, chip in a little. When you go on the site, you can pull down like which bucket you want to. You can do a general, or you can do like I want to. You know, send kids to on the bus or. It, there's there's a, there's a few different community programs you can join. So teganandsarahfoundation.org. If you're driving, don't worry about it. It's in the show notes. Plus, your memory is awesome. You can remember.org and you can remember Tegan and Sarah and Foundation. So you, you pretty much nailed it. Um, just absolutely non sequitur so I don't forget. Shout out to Kari Andrews. Amazing Yay. artist, writer, film director, music video director, graphic novel, illustrator, Inker, all around amazing, super nice club member, nice work guest. Anyway, Kare, awesome. He's he's how we're in touch. So Kare, if you're listening, thank you, love you. <laughs> Kare did the um, did the album artwork right on your 2002 record. Yeah, uh, he and did a music video. He yeah he it was funny actually he 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 was our photographer for our third record if it was you oh. so we spent two days with him taking photos and he I don't think that he necessarily classifies himself as a photographer but he was a very close friend of ours we felt really comfortable with him um, at that time in our lives we were you know very young and we often felt we were being photographed by men and and it can be uncomfortable it's uncomfortable to be like you know with your twin sister and with strange men and Kari was just an incredible good dude who often would be like, I'll help you with that. I'll do this thing. I'll do that thing. And he offered to do our photos. And so then he was, so all the artwork and the photos from that record cycle, they're all of him or they're all by him. And then he um, directed the music video for arguably one of our top 10 favorite songs of all time for for the fans living room. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was actually kind of a traumatizing experience because the end of the video, we get sprayed down with water but it's like ice cold like rainwater basically um and i hated kari for like that hour but um (laughs) but he's done other stuff he's contributed art to other projects we've done we did a t-shirt fundraiser to do that video and he created the art with for that we used his storyboards to fundraise to make the video and he contributed a poster to a um a a video or sorry a poster collection we did and um yeah i just think i mean i i love kari and He's got a really beautiful garden growing right now. He sent me some photos recently. And uh, he's, he's one of those people that inspires me in the sense that he's done so many different kinds of art. He's, he's, he's ventured into many different fields. And um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. Smart, smart, talented, really introspective thoughtful yeah. human being. So if you're a Tegan and Sarah fan, supporter, check out Kari Andrews. He's got so much work to check out. Just just go dive in. Kari with two A's. Yeah, it's special. K-A-A-R-E. Yeah. <laughs> special. <laughs> uh, we have a couple uh, insider questions from Super Nice Club members. Super Nice Club insider questions. Going to throw them at you real quick. First is from Kari Z. Wow. Kare. Kari. All right. Kari, friend of mine in Santa Rosa. Hi, Kari. She says, I love the collab they did with Wild Fang. I'd love to hear the story on that. Emma is the founder and a rock star. I adore her and would love to hear the scoop. Yeah, so Wild Fang is a company that started in Portland, Oregon, a collection of women who'd come together who worked in other like fashion, like athletic wear places, I think like Adidas and 
other places. And they approached us and said, Hey, we're starting this company and eventually it'll be a white label. We'll make our own clothes, but we're going to basically call like gender neutral clothing from like cool brands that like we know queer women are shopping from and kind of have it sit in one place online and eventually have a storefront. And now they've expanded and they have multiple locations. They have a huge online uh, presence. They're extremely social justice minded. They do massive fundraisers every year and donate to lots of organizations. Definitely good guys. Like meaning like good guys versus bad guys. They're good guys. Wild thing. All right. Wild thing. We'll put it, we'll put a link in there folks as well. Um, now from Kare to Kari to back to Kara Lancaster, you mentioned earlier. <laughs> she has a question. Uh, I know, confusing. Uh, she wants to know if your spotlight position makes you feel obligated to make your life fairly prominently focused on sexuality. And she adds, and I quote, maybe this is a shit question. I don't really know. Not a shit question at all, actually. A very interesting question. Um you know, I've, I've over, I'll say this very briefly. In over 22 years, I've very had very different feelings and thoughts about how to explore and be open and talk about identity and sexuality as it comes into uh, the universe of my music and career. You know, at times it's felt really awkward because I'm a twin, an identical twin, and there's this like weird fetishized like idea or perception of twins and lesbians and porn and like awfulness that like as a young person, especially I didn't want to go anywhere near, I didn't want to touch it. So I think we shrugged off our sexual identity and being twins and all these things early on in our career, just as much as we hated, like sometimes talking about being women in music, it felt extremely marginalizing at times. We weren't women in music. We were women who played music and we were, we wanted to be treated equally to men. And so I've, I've had a really long history of like, sometimes be really leaning into my identity as a twin, as a woman, as a queer person, you know, and I've had other times where I've leaned out because it's felt um, like it wasn't necessarily helpful or useful. I think the language and the culture and the um, education around these identities has evolved so much over 22 years that I like it more now. I enjoy talking about it more. I'm also older. <laughs> so the conversations I have with journalists and people, we're like around the same age. So it doesn't feel as predatory. There was something extremely weird about talking about being a role model to queer women when I was 20 years old, when I was being interviewed by a 45 year old man. Like I would yeah. just say it was, it felt strange or to have men because it's mostly men in the indie rock world who would interview us like to have them be like, so what are your girlfriends like? You know, it just felt mm -hmm. weird, but yeah. our music was about relationships. So there was also like, what were they supposed to do? Of course they had to ask those questions. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so nowadays I feel like I enjoy talking about my identity. I love being open and out about my sexuality and my experience as a woman in music and my identity as an identical twin. And I think to myself, if it's bringing anyone any answers or relief or understanding, then I'm doing my job. So I see it as part of what I do. It's baked into our music and the culture around us. But, um, you know, sometimes I still have those moments where I'm like, I don't really love seeing like queer band Tegan and Sarah in every headline because it feels like a, it feels like a not so subtle nod to men or straight people like, oh, this band's not for you. You can just scroll down the page. This is just for women. This is just for queer people. And I think that's extremely egregious. You know, I don't think that that's fair. I think we're for everybody. We're right. I mean, if anything, dudes should love us. We're writing songs about wanting girls that don't want us. That seems like something men deal with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm trying to remember like, 
when I came into being a fan of your music, um, I don't remember. I don't think it had anything to do with you being a queer band. I just, no. think, I just, I just think I like the music. I don't know, yeah. but I was like that with Ani DeFranco too. I was a huge Ani DeFranco fan back in the day, like huge. I ha- actually I hated her at first. Hated her at first because my my coworkers at this pizza shop would play her relentlessly. I'm like, who is this? And then event- one one night it just clicked, and yeah. I was like, this is the best. But it didn't have anything to do with anything other than the music was good. And I think, but that's where I got into you guys. I'm like, ooh, this kind of reminds me your early stuff. Kind of reminds me a little bit. This is in that space. Oh, yeah. these guys are great too. I but think it's it only, was, it's, it's such a weird thing because women never do it. Nobody ever says to me, like when I put up my Spotify wrapped this year and like apparently the things I listen to most are Billie Holiday, Imagine Dragons, and this band um, uh, uh, Bleachers, which is Jack Antonoff's uh, band. Yeah, yeah. Nobody t- like put underneath there, how come? Can you justify why you listen to men? You know, like no one's like, imagine, I mean, they might have opinions on the types of music I listen to, but like nobody is like, but you're a woman. Why are you listening to men? And it's this very weird cultural thing where men sometimes are forced by each other to justify and classify why they listen to music and and specifically why you would be relating to music written by a woman. And that's absurd. It's a human experience that I'm having. We all share the majority of our emotions and our experiences are the same. We go to high school, we get acne, we have sex for the first time, we get married, we get divorced. We don't want any of those things. I mean, there's just like, there's themes and topics we all touch on. And if you like my band, it's probably because you relate to the themes that I'm singing about or the things I'm relating to. Because it works the other side too. Everybody he was always like, oh, I bet your audience is just full of queer women. And it's like, lots of queer women don't relate to us because we don't like queer women are all women. They can be anything. They, so maybe they like sports and we don't, you know, they don't get music or, you know, like there's just, there's so, like, there's so many different kinds of people like you, you know, so it's, I think it's, it, you're shortchanging yourself if you're out there going, well, I'm a punk kid. So I'm going to listen to punk, you know, I'm a guy, so I'm going to listen to guy. Like, like, no. Yeah. And I actually think more people are like you. I think sometimes there's a trope within journalism and writing that we think like, oh, they're women and they're queer. So only women who are queer listen to them. I think that's really unfair. I'm mostly approached by men and that might just have to do with confidence. But I and and of those men, it's men who listen to EDM and punk music. It's the people who heard about us through Tiesto or heard about us through Against Me. Those are the people who approach me on the street. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I do, before I forget, and uh, we're getting to the top of the hour, I want to thank you, though, for the decades of activism you do on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I'm a cisgender straight male, but my dad was gay. And his dad was wildly homophobic. So my dad spent the first two thirds of his life, you know, performing as a straight Mm -hmm. male. Fortunately for me, because I exist, but but literally until the night his dad died. And it was only then he was like pushing 60 years old, that he had the courage to make a break. But by then, by then that battle had really just, just crushed him, you know, and I I don't wish my father's self-loathing on anyone. Mm -hmm. So thanks for your work. You know, you're chipping in, making the world a more accepting place. I wish it had been there for him, you know, and like, like I said, although that would mean I wouldn't be here, but you know, you know, pluses and minuses. Yeah. <laughs> pluses and minuses. So on behalf of that, you know, it's uh, everybody out there. Not, I mean, you're great. Your sister's great, but everybody out there doing the work uh, on this community and the LGBTQ plus uh, GSM community. Thanks. Thanks. It, you may not think that it really has a direct impact. Or you may not remember 
always that it has a direct impact on the members who aren't directly in your community, but we have family. And well, you also, I, I want to bring this up too, because it's been so much in the news and I'd be remiss not to pick his opportunity to expand even what you're saying beyond the LGBTQ community. But I think all of us have an opportunity to stand up and change the world and make a difference in small and big ways every single day. And I think that some of us who are on pedestals and platforms sometimes either feel pressured to do it or just motivated to do it. But ultimately, you know, we're sort of seen as like, well, this is what you do when you get to this level and you have access and privilege and, you know, whatever. But I actually think that every single one of us has that a platform of some kind, you know, whether it's your, your Facebook friends or your book club or your, you know, fitness class or your best friends from college or whatever it is, we have an opportunity to speak about things that matter, to like tap into things that matter. And it starts small. There's a reason why we focus so much on women and girls. It's because so many women and girls and LGBTQ identified people supported us. So we started by funding our community, but your community can just be the neighborhood you live in. But every single one of us has an opportunity to consistently every single day do something that's going to better the world. And it's not cheesy Canadian socialist positivity here. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I really mean, like we all have the opportunity to do it. And men, especially white cis men right now, have an opportunity to make a big change in their community, which is talk to other men. Men ignore the signs of misogyny and homophobia and racism like white men specifically more than anyone else amongst each other we they often hide it in front of women or people of color or lgbtq people but amongst each other that exists still that has not changed that is not improving and i think that you know if if you're a white cisgendered man out there going, man, how do I make change? Or how do I do this? You can show up with your money for sure. You can show up with your, you know, sign petitions and listen to Tegan and Sarah, whatever, do all these things, (laughs) but talk to each other, talk to each other and call each other out and educate one another because it's that crosstalk that's happening between men. That's it's that ignoring. Like I had a very close friend once he said to me, I think about how many times I was in a locker room or backstage with a band I was playing with and I ignored abusive or like overtly sexual innuendo or inappropriate language from guys around me because I wasn't that kind of guy. And I didn't want to wade into that. And it's like, he he was like, you know, spending a couple years on the road with you guys, I see like you stop each other, you correct one another when someone, whether it's a woman, whether it's an LGBTQ person, whether it's a man, you're like, hey, sorry, actually, that's racist. Or oh, you can't say that anymore. Or hey, have you read that you're constantly communicating? And he was like, you know, men don't do that. He said, I just turned an eye. I was like, that guy's gross. I don't want to talk to him anymore. We have an obligation to each other in our communities to educate each other, to stop things, to see the signs. And, you know, I would just like hope men that that's like a big thing you can do. Protect us by stopping each other from being that way, you know? (laughs) I'm going to turn that into your super nice challenge. Every guest gets to issue a challenge on the, on the show, something that you can do to make Uh, the world a little bit of a, of a nicer place. You know, we're trying to make the world 10% nicer, mm -hmm. which is a pretty low bar folks, you know, but let's, (laughs) let's, let's get to 10% first and then, and then we'll do a stretch goal. Um, So is that fair? Can I, can I put that that. as your super nice challenge? Absolutely. Um, And if, if you're, you're not a, a man listening to this, pass it along, you know, spread the word, just try to make a correction, even with just like a, Hey, not cool. 
just a hey, not cool, you know, something. And then as you do that, you'll get more and more confidence. I'm speaking from experience into going beyond why it's not cool. You know, even if it just to begin with, it's just kind of like, hey, not cool. And then you look down between your shoes, say it. Yeah. You know, you'll be grateful to yourself that you said something instead of whispering it to yourself. Um, Okay. So that's the super nice challenge. I want to do a real quick giveaway. Uh, We're going to give away. um, How about one of our, I believe in a nicer world shirts. That'll be cool. So just post your favorite Tegan and Sarah lyric or something from high school on Instagram or Facebook. And, but tell us what it means to you. Tell us why it resonates with you. Uh, and then tag us, Super Nice Club. And tag Tegan and Sarah as well, if you want. Uh, and then I'll just randomly draw one, give away a shirt or two or three. And that's it. That's the giveaway. Pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. And let's see. One real small quick shout out that's important to me. And I read about it in the book. You guys, if you have a second, look up an organization that benefited me in my hitchhiking, incredibly broke ass days called Food Not Bombs. Um, check out Food Not Bombs. Uh, I've been to them in the East Bay when I used to go to punk shows in the East Bay, when I would hitchhike up to Portland, these a young vagrant. They recover food that would otherwise be discarded and they share vegan and vegetarian meals all over the world. All right. Check out foodnotbombs.org. It's in there. It's in the links. Tegan, thank you. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you're doing, <laughs> what you're going to do, your former fights, your future fights. Thank you for everything. Thank you. This was a, a wonderful hour to spend with you. And I love what you're doing. And I am going to s- subscribe. And uh, <laughs> I, I really mean that. I mean, I, I mean it quite seriously. I'm really glad I agreed to do this. And this was a wonderful conversation. All Thanks right. for all well, you do. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for putting super nice energy into the world and wanting people to be positive and improve the world that we live in. So there you have it, a super nice conversation with super nice Tegan Quinn. Isn't she awesome? I told you at the beginning, if you listened, that she was going to be awesome and that you were going to think she's awesome, and now you do. So hopefully your trust in me is a little bit higher now. Anyway, great conversation, and go get high school because it's guaranteed. Pick up the new record. Just... Check out Tegan and Sarah if you are not a fan. If you're already a fan, just dive deeper. I really appreciate you being here listening to these podcasts. Next week, we have more music, another band, uh, Magic Wands. So put that on your homework list to get into Magic Wands between now and the next episode so you can be even more excited about listening. Uh, and after that, you know, we've got a real, if you're a, if you're a free to call a fan, we have something super duper special, uh, in two weeks, but that's, that's the only hint that you're going to get right now. All right. I love each and every one of you. And until next week, stay nice.
to be nicer than you could put away your clothes If you wanted to be nicer You can teach everything you know And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more So what? Big deal.